power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The Legend of Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. A mighty tech show, loved by anarchists, feared by authoritarians. As Sovereign Tech's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a union of egoists was formed. Together with the open source, retro gaming, and liberty-loving communities, they maintain peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Sovereign Tech was needed once more. This is the podcast of super host Dr. Brian Sovereign. Specially trained and sent out into the galaxy to bring back Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. Woo, the man with the plan is on. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star. As some have said, the most dangerous man in the world today. And as many say, and I can back it up, baby, the greatest podcaster alive. It is. Episode 492 of Sovereign Tech, and whoo, do we have a lot to get into. But I got to tell you, I look before me at my Windows 7 Dell 7480 14-inch screen. I look before me, and as is an off-site in my over 10 years in podcasting, I see audacity. Now, why the fuck am I bringing this up? Because, wow, it does it look different right now? I know, I know. Well, hey, look. I know that I have a lot of, I mean, hey, when you are the best podcaster alive, when you are the podcast champion, you know, a lot of people listen to you to know how to do it. Well, for all of those, all of you who, because I know I have a lot of other podcasters that listen to me and they, they follow the line, baby. I know you're wondering. And what I'm going to tell you is they have recently updated. Audacity has updated to version 3.2 now. For a very long time, as in for a couple of years, uh, I actually stopped using Audacity. Uh, I ended up using a fork of Audacity called Dark Audacity. Why? Because after, I think it was like version 2.3 or 2.4, somewhere around there, um, a company had bought out the development, shall we say, of Audacity. Of course, it's an open source project. That's the main reason that I have used it through the entire run of Sovereign Tech. No other software has ever been used. I've been tempted at times to maybe try some other things out, um, you know, or even like say on an iPad, perhaps give a shot, give a shot with a, uh, you know, with GarageBand, which for Apple users, great option for making podcasts. Anyway, I don't want this to take a ton of time because we got a lot of other shit to get into. And we're certainly, we're not going to be praising Apple through much of it, but we're going to hit everybody, all the tech giants, you know how this goes on Sovereign Tech. Anyway, um, so there was metadata being collected that was uh, privacy encroaching. And for a long time in most Linux repositories, um, you couldn't even get like the latest version of Audacity. They basically stopped it at like version, again, I think it was version 2.3 or 2.2, something along those lines. 
uh, we, we talked about it on Sovereign Tech when it happened. And recently it was discovered or, it, well, Audacity announced, hey, we're not engaging in that anymore. Like that, that stuff's just not happening, probably because they saw a massive drop uh, in users. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll go back to it. I'll give it a shot. You know, like, let's, let's see what audacity is doing. And wow, even then, and this was some months ago, uh, was it a shift because they switched away. And I already talked about this. If you're a sovereign tech patron, of course, just go to patreon.com slash sovereign tech. And you get to hear all the nitty gritty conversations, the wild conversations. And oh, baby, do I mean they are wild, uh, you know, on our Wednesday Q and A's and elsewhere. Um, I've already covered some of this, but this is even going beyond that. So they had changed to where they were doing instead of .aup files is like your project file. They created a .aup3 that was like a giant zip file that contained everything. Now, this caused you to have to have a lot more hard drive uh, or hard disk space available because it would not compress the file you know, until you told it to, and you basically closed audacity with the project that you were creating. Um, overall, I liked the change, but it, I had to convert, you know, when you've been doing this for a decade, there's a lot of stuff to convert when you're looking at varying project files, which I do often, you know, copy pasting and whatever else that I have to do from that. Um, so that was fine. And then just out of nowhere, of course I use portableapps.com. So I get through portableapps.com, um, I get, you know, notifications, which is part of the reason I love using it. Granted, I've been using portableapps.com also for well over a decade. I mean, almost since they launched, I've been using that. Uh, I mean, I, I use that back fuck when I, when I still had XP machines that I was running, that was before windows seven even came out. I've been using portable apps, um, portable apps. I've talked about it before on sovereign tech, but if you don't know what that is, that is now you can run it via wine if you want. Um, so you have options to run that, you know, there's ways to run it on Mac. There's ways to run it on Linux, even Chrome OS and so on. Um, but you know, if you're running it native on windows, it's very easy. Anyway, what I do is every windows machine that I go through, and I'll even do this on my, some of my Linux machines, but every windows machine I go through, I don't have to go through the process of installing, or at least not all of it, installing all the software that I like to use on, you know, on a windows machine. I just transfer this entire file or this entire folder, which is my portableapps.com folder from one computer to the next. And it has all my apps. It has my web browser. It has audacity. It has uh, OBS. It has telegram. I mean, there, there's, there's just, just almost everything I use has some kind of portable version version of the app. And if it doesn't, I don't generally, I try not to use it. Um, but even like tag and rename, even simple stuff that I use for MP3s. Um, but this way, you know, I get a new machine, I'm just up and running, you know, inside of 30 minutes of what it takes to transfer all of these portable apps, you know, instead of having to install it on the new machine, I just transfer them over. Okay. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, and the side benefit of it is portableapps.com. You can just hit check for updates on like, it, it basically creates its own little start menu. And when I hit check for updates, it will go through all the software that I have installed or at least everything that I installed through portableapps.com. Some apps are independent and I have to handle those separately because even though they're in my start menu for portable apps, um, you know, I, I still basically, they're not part of the update cycle within portable apps that's coded 
you know, within, uh, you know, what they make available. So they make the install process easy, but they also make the update process easy. And for windows machines, you know, it's not like smartphones, you know, or an iPad where it will tell you what apps have an update and you can just hit one button and everything, you know, you hit update all and everything gets updated with windows. Traditionally, you have to go through a huge process. I mean, this is one of the longstanding advantages of Linux, right? Is you know, just, just app get upgrade or whatever, you know, like, like put it into terminal and boom, it, it will run through everything that has an update through the package manager, uh, which makes life very easy with windows. It was never that case. You had to go check for updates on basically every piece of software you have from VLC to Firefox to, you know, take your pick. Um, this, how, and that, that was one of the big selling points for UWP apps, right? Which of course, Microsoft has, you know, left in the dust with windows 10. Um, but anyway, portableapps.com for over 10 years has allowed for this feature for you to update all the apps all at once. Um, and so I got a regular update, you know, I love that. And I got a regular update for audacity to version 3.2 and holy shit. I mean, the icons changed, um, kind of the organization, the setup where, where everything is normally there's like three or four, uh, kind of menu bars at the top that I'll have set up. All of that got compressed to like two bars. Uh, and it did it pretty well, but the real beauty here is, and I'll certainly be taking advantage of this going forward. The real beauty is there is now a live effects button on the left-hand side uh, of what you're recording, where it's a non-destructive process, meaning that you can change it on the fly, um, and more or less live as you're going through it. Um, it's not something where like I could suddenly, as I'm talking to you right now, I, you know, I don't know that I can necessarily like make my voice change. Um, normally I would just do that on my own. You know, I just use my own voice, uh, techniques, I guess, uh, I wouldn't use software for that. You know, like if I'm going to talk like Brian Soviet, or if I'm going to talk like some kind of reptilian or something along, the wait a minute, reptilian. Whoa, that's my normal voice. No, <laughs> this is the act. No. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know that it will necessarily allow me to do that, but I'm going to be experimenting with it more, but I mean, I just opened this up to start recording and I saw this huge difference and I'm like, what the hell just happened? And anyway, I looked at it, you know, I had to take an extra 20 minutes or so just to check everything out. And I like what I see. So audacity, man, if you haven't tried it in a while, might be a good time to do it. Has, you know, has Adobe, uh, what is it? Audition, right? Has it had these features for 20 years? Yeah, sure. Probably, but it's Adobe. So fuck it. <laughs> Why the hell would I use that? Uh, anyway. Okay. So welcome to the 21st century audacity. I love it. <laughs> no, really this, this is great. And apparently they're making other big moves. Uh, I applaud this direction that they're going in. Um, something that, uh, I'm more or less also applaud. Let's get into, uh, the foreplay here and talk about, that was just a nice little side rant. Maybe you just discovered things you want to start using, which, Hey, great. If you get a, to walk away from this show with actionable items. Um, but anyway, let's get into some of the foreplay here and we'll open this thing right up with a surprise announcement, surprise development, really, though I'm not too surprised by the matter and link is in the show notes for this. And we're going to be talking about something that isn't going to release to market until at least 2024. Okay. So we got a couple of years and admittedly, this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, meaning it's about physical media. It's about optical discs and I'm not kidding. 
Optical discs are near and dear to my heart. There are a few things I love as much in this life as optical media. <laughs> if you knew the amount of time, if the amount of time you spend with something is a reflection of how much it means to you, boy, let me tell you how much optical discs mean to me. <laughs> there might, outside of Mrs. Sovereign, there may be nothing else. Well, no, MP3s maybe would beat optical discs, but even then, I don't know. Um, of course, you know, I'm notorious for being a defender of Blu-rays, not 4K, not 4K, not 4K. Blu-rays, 1080p. We've innovated past perfection at that point. Okay, that's it. 1080p is as good as it gets. After that, it doesn't look like movies anymore. You've lost the director's vision. You've lost all kinds of vision. And who knows what the hell's going on in your brain when you watch that. But that's besides the point. So, well, actually, it's kind of the point with this. Anyway, um, a company that uh, I, I do believe, it, it, the company is Folio Photonics. I want to say they're out of Texas. I think that's what I had seen. But anyway, I only, you know, say that because it might make for a great everything's bigger in Texas joke because Folio has uh, developed a optical disc that can hold one terabyte of data. Now, I'll admit, even just talking about this, you know, okay, how much can this, you know, how much can uh, some type of physical media store on it? Uh, I mean, I just, I get the warm fuzzies, you know, thinking back to the 90s when, you know, we were talking about jazz drives or, yeah, jazz drives and zip disks and, you know, the transition from, uh, you know, like five and a quarter uh, disks to 3.5 inch floppy disks. And so, I mean, oh man, like, I mean, it really, it used to be so exciting, you know, like the idea that jazz drives could do what 200 gig or whatever. I, I mean, talking about being on the jazz, it was just, it was amazing. So anyway, um, they have, so Folio has come out with a one terabyte optical disc. Now, interestingly in their marketing around this, they instantly are talking about, oh, this is going to allow for, you know, the, like the theoretical 8K disc, uh, meaning that you could play, you could store an 8K movie on, uh, you know, a one terabyte disc. And so you could go beyond 4K. Now I have done entire episodes. If I think of it, I'll link to one in the show notes, even though it should be easy to find. Like, I think I titled it 4K is bullshit. Um, regardless of that, like, I've done entire episodes about how 4k is meaningless. And like, again, 1080p that's, that's it. Like that, that's, that is the, um, you really, there's no point in going past that. Okay. So, you know, it's clearly a marketing tactic. I think on folios part to say, Hey, like, Oh yeah, this is going to allow for AK films. Like the market is barely, barely, just starting to break into 4k, even though you may think that 4k is, Oh, it's fucking everywhere. Okay. Yeah. There's TVs and most of the TVs have gotten to 4k, but the content, and especially when it comes to optical media, you're, you know, to physical media, like all of that is still far behind, uh, when it comes to 4k, as far as development and release, I mean, even like Paramount, you know, you think of like movie studios, um, they've just recently, and how long has 4k been around for what? Five, six, seven years. Actually might even be getting close to 
it might be getting close to 10 at this point when the first like 4k discs were announced. It's been, anyway, it's been five years plus. They're just now starting to be willing, uh, to put out movies in 4k. Um, in fact, it, it's kind of a small problem where they will announce the DVD and Blu-ray. In fact, usually they'll come in the same case, but they'll announce the Blu-ray, uh, or the Blu-ray and DVD. They won't announce a 4k version, uh, cinephile, you know, a movie buff, will buy the Blu-ray because they want this new movie that's coming out. And then a month later, you know, because the Blu-ray actually sold well, then maybe Paramount or Warner Brothers or whoever will actually release a 4K. Or they'll have it planned and they won't put it out until later. Now, that's honestly like, yes, that's a thing. That's an annoyance. And I know there are are physical media collectors because I talk to them because, you know, we're very, uh, uh, you know, close-knit club. (laughs) Even though, again, I don't buy 4K. Um, you know, I've talked to them where this is an annoyance and it is an annoyance for them. I mean, the irony is here's something you, you really got to grok 4k content, whether it's on disc online, whatever the reality is the same, pretty much any way you get it. There's two realities to it. One is that most 4k content isn't actually natively filmed in 4k and it's upscaled from, you know, 720p, 1080p, whatever they ended up doing, probably 1080p. Okay. So you're not actually getting true native 4k. You're getting something that's upscaled. And as I've brought up in the past, if it's upscaled content, then, you know, you don't have to spend the extra money for a 4k disc, just buy the Blu-ray and have a Blu-ray player that upscales to 4k because that's in the long run, that's going to be infinitely uh, less expensive besides the point. Okay. So there's that. And that means that, I mean, cause where this is going, that means that in the future, there might be a new process to better upscale 1080p content into 4k. Um, and then, so it's going to go through remastering. You're going to have to buy the movies basically all over again, which you've probably already done twice, at least, you know, because you bought it on DVD, maybe you bought it on VHS, then you bought it on DVD. And then you thought, okay, yeah, I'll go with Blu-ray. Um, besides that. Okay. And trust me, we, we, if you're, you have security concerns, you have all these other kind of concerns. We got plenty of stories to get into as far as all that goes. Um, but I want to, I want to talk about this because I rarely do I get to talk about new developments in physical media. And I think it's interesting, if not exciting, and really it might not be exciting here as you'll see, uh, you know, to get into. So anyway, the other problem with 4k content is that even if it is native 4k content, guess what's happening with that? For it to fit onto a 100 gigabyte Blu-ray XL disc, which is where things top out. If you're wondering how much bigger is this than the biggest optical media we have, the biggest optical media we have right now is effectively what we call BDXL, okay, Blu-ray disc XL. And that generally tops out at about 100 100 gigabytes. Uh, Though I think even that Sony was developing like 250 gigabyte discs. So you're at least 10x to what, you know, five or yeah, like five X, whatever, like in size. So this is a massive jump, no doubt about it. And it's impressive that fully, you know, impressive that Folio was able to pull this off. Okay. But here's the thing. So to get 4k content onto what is generally a hundred gigabyte disc, um, or a little bit more, there is a massive amounts of video compression that go on and audio compression, by the way, let's be clear on this. You're never, you're never, you're never, whether it's online or on physical disc, 
you are never getting raw 4k content. It is always a fucking trick. They're always, always lying to you. They tell you that you're buying 4k. No, it's one of two possibilities. You're either buying heavily compressed raw 4k footage. So it's not really 4k or you're buying upscaled 1080p content. You're never buying 4k 4k effectively does not fucking exist. You got me not on optical media, not on streaming. Do you know what it would cost to stream raw 4k? Holy hell. I mean, you want to talk about a bill. I mean, watching, you know, a television show in 4k would probably be, I mean, you'd be doing, you know, five, six, maybe a terabyte a day. I don't know. Maybe, maybe more than that. If you watched a movie, who the fuck knows? So maybe this one terabyte disc or more folio did say that they could actually go beyond one terabyte. And it's impressive because as far as cost goes, you're looking at like about $5 per terabyte with the way that they're producing this. That's impressive. And that's going to lead to what this is really for. It really has nothing to do with movies at the end of the day, but I just want my points to be made. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> and hopefully maybe the market will speak, you know, and it's not like I'm uh, to be quick. It's not like I'm against physical media. Are you hearing me? I love physical media. I have probably shy right now of about 2000 Blu-rays and DVDs, 2000. Okay. Do you think I hate this shit? No. <laughs> Granted, I don't buy generally, I don't buy any new movies minus maybe Top Gun Maverick, but I don't, you know, like I don't have a problem with physical media. I'm not saying physical media is dumb. I am saying that the, the, uh, optical trickery, uh, that they're engaging in with you is, is just pure bullshit. And I'd love it for the market to speak and say, no, I'm not buying 4k versions of this or that. I'll take the Blu-rays. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, we're entering a time where, uh, for a long, or okay. So for a long time, for many years, as long as 4k has been out there, usually the special features were actually on a Blu-ray disc, like on a traditional 1080p Blu-ray disc. And they weren't on a 4k disc because you needed all that disc space to get the compressed, not raw compressed bullshit 4k content. Okay. All right. Um, now we're getting to the point though, where special features are getting put, um, onto the 4k disc itself and not being included on the Blu-ray. This is most readily apparent in the recent re-release and remastering, by the way, new 2k scans, the whole business of, um, Star Trek five and Star Trek six, where on the Star Trek six disc, you get the, uh, director's cut and the theatrical cut on 4k. The Blu-ray though, does not have it. Basically the director's cut of Star Trek six has never been released on Blu-ray. Uh, fortunately I already have the DVDs. Also, I make my own Blu-rays often enough and I got a, you know, 4k copy online. And then I burned that onto a disc, turned it into, you know, with the Blu-ray folder, the whole thing so that it can play in a traditional Blu-ray, uh, player. That's how serious I take my optical media. If you can't hear it in my voice, I take this subject incredibly seriously and I'm very knowledgeable as far as it goes. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, so a one terabyte disc, now you might be able to, with maybe an hour and a half movie, maybe, 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 you might be able to put raw 4K uh, content on there. Now, how is this going to work? Like, but you've already been buying 4K discs, or you thought that you were in the 4K heaven, 
you know, with everything that you're getting. And now you find out, oh, it's all a fucking lie. And maybe now when this comes out in 2024, two years from now, you'll actually be able to see 4K content, you know, like real raw 4K content. Can your TV even handle that? Is there going to have to be a new version of HDMI to be able to handle that throughput? These are all very good questions, you know, for you to ask. And you're going to find that nobody has answers. So what's this really all about? My, all of, I, I gave all of that preamble, and that was effectively preamble, to say that this new technology has no real bearing on the entertainment industry. It ultimately doesn't mean shit. I mean, maybe 15 years from now, 8K will be the new marketing ploy, and it's a ploy, it's not real. Maybe then Folio will be the big deal. I mean, hey, I love it that Sony didn't develop this. Okay, I love it that there's a new company who's taking optical media seriously, but where are they, again, where are they going to really make their money? Because they're not going to take on Sony. You know, it'll just, it'll be, frankly, because Sony will figure out some way to do this if they haven't already. Again, they already do have theoretical Blu-ray discs that can do 250 gigs, okay, even though those aren't out there yet. Um, you know, you're not going to take on Sony. It's going to be like Sony versus JVC, right? Remember DVD HD versus Blu-ray? Who is going to win? Oh, boy. I remember. Heritage Farms remembers. <laughs> or is it Pepperidge? No, it's Heritage. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the internet remembers. How about that? Um, so, you know, it's just going to end up being that bullshit. And frankly, you're going to lose against Sony. Why? Because they make the most you know, uh, popular players on the planet. What are those? Playstations. You've already lost. So, that said, um, what is this about? This is about other companies. This is not about the entertainment industry at all. This is about long-term data storage. And to prove the point, who is, what company out there do you think, and we've talked about this since we found it out years ago, what company do you think is the number one buyer of Blu-ray discs? It's going to be a company we're going to talk about during listener's choice. Facebook. Facebook is the single largest purchaser of Blu-ray discs. What is Facebook an entertainment company? Well, they tried to do that. They failed, but you know what, like what, what are they doing with these Blu-ray discs? They are storing all of your back data, the years and years, if not over a decade of back data that they have about you and all of us and blah, blah, blah. They're storing it onto Blu-ray discs instead of keeping it on servers. Ever wonder sometimes when you say you want to like collect uh, data that, that, that you posted from like 2011 or something like that, why the, they'll say to you, well, it could take a while for us to get it back. Or if you delete your account, then you come back it's like, okay, your account will come back to its original form, but it could take up to a week or something like that. Why does it take that time? It takes the time because they're probably sending some asshats, you know, into the basement at Facebook HQ one hacker way and saying, all right, you got to find the Blu-ray discs marked, uh, you know, Brian sovereign or something like that. Right. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're keeping my data, but I, I am not on Facebook, but that's how this works. Okay. And so what is this one terabyte disks for? It's for that. It's to take the load off of server structures. Is that ultimately a good thing? It's got its purpose. It's got its uses. I wouldn't mind being able to buy these and, you know, and, and like, essentially this is a far better storage solution 
than, you know, buying a Western digital, my book, or, you know, some kind of C8, um, you know, external hard drive. Right. Um, I mean, I have, like, I, I look to my right and there's, there's actually speaking of Western digital, I have an 18 terabyte hard drive here. Now I love this thing. I have a NAS, I have an S with so many fucking terabytes on it by Synology. Um, but would I love, and do I often take really important things and burn them onto a Blu-ray disc? In fact, particularly I use M disc, which are theoretically supposed to last a thousand years at least. Well, I guess we'll get our money back in a thousand years to know if that's true, but I will go through that process. Okay. You know, because again, it's far more reliable than the, any hard drive that you could look at, even though these hard drives are designed to run for at least 10 years, if not more. So I get what this is for. Just everybody's talking about it. Like, Oh fuck, we're going to have 8k. We're going to have this. I'm like, no, 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 there's no market. There's no market for that. It doesn't matter. Even if you're demanding it, guess what? The movie studios, they don't care. Yeah. Samsung might put out an AK television, but that's just because they have to keep coming out they have to keep pretending and keyword pretending that they innovate. Again, you are never ever in your life, unless you are in the movie industry somehow, you know, or maybe somehow you've got it even on iPhone. I don't think that, that it's, uh, because what the highest iPhone has, does it even have it? I think maybe the highest iPhone has one terabyte on there. Uh, how much genuine raw 4k footage do you think you're getting on there? No, it's fucking compression. It's compressed video. It's not really 4k it's trickery 4k. Again, unless you're actually in the industry using the right equipment and that equipment is fucking huge. You have never seen 4k content in your life ever. You just haven't. It's a lie. Now moving on. <laughs> that story took way longer than I expected. We've got other shit to get into. Here's something that's not a lie. You know, it's not the, uh, it's not the cake. Um, <laughs> the company that uh, I use for as my VPN service, that being Mulvad, uh, again, the main reason I've used them is they have a windows seven supported client, uh, which again, that really is the primary reason that I use them, but also, um, they've been great about implementing WireGuard very quickly and they just, they just do things right on just about every platform. They handle things well on Linux. They handle things well on Android. They handle things super well on, on, you know, like iOS or iPad OS or even Mac OS. Um, so it's a company where I feel confident that I am going to get feature parity, or at least the features that I want on just about any platform that I end up being on. And I end up being on a lot. Why? Because I'm a tech journalist. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise. Anyway, Mulvad is uh, going to the next level here. And I'm pleased to see this uh, in fact, a, a sovereign tech listener, uh, is the one that alerted me to this, but they announced on their blog, the Tilitus key, the Tilitus key is effectively a Yubi key on steroids. Um, it is a Yubi key that allows you to run multiple apps. And these multiple apps are actually all sandboxed from each other in the key because they never share the actual, uh, uh hash secret between each other. They can contrast the hash to know that it's the right device, but they never actually share the secret to where they can access each other. This is a problem that exists on other security keys of this type. Um, and it's, it's ability to run multiple apps, like where you could effectively run multiple one-time pin apps. I mean, there's a lot of different features that could be taken advantage of here, very high end security stuff, but I'm pleased to see it. It's certainly an evolution up from the YubiKey. Not that I have any problem with YubiKey. 
but what I really like about it, and and I don't know that this is what inspired Mulvad, but I'm kind of hoping that it is, uh, the Fido Alliance, which handles a lot of the, you know, basically the code that allows YubiKeys to, which I've recommended for years on Sovereign Tech, that, you know, allows them to function and have a, uh, you know, a standard, as in like Web2 often, you know, that, that allows them to have a standard that can function with multiple websites and web browsers and everything else. Um, they've the Fido Alliance who, you know, finalizes all of that. They've basically started to walk away from, uh, hardware MFA, you know, hardware multi-factor authentication. They are looking more in the direction and I don't applaud this. And, and I am going to have a conversation, um, in the future around, um, you know, we'll get into pass keys, which Apple's talking about. A lot of other companies are talking about, uh, if, if you can guess, I'm not, I'm not bullish on these things. <laughs> in fact, they're bullshit, but I want to have a, a bigger conversation around that. Uh, but I'm very concerned that like basically the Fido Alliance, it sounds like they're thinking, okay, your smartphone will be your multi-factor authenticator. No, I don't want that because in my perfect world and hopefully in my near future, I don't want a smartphone. You understand? So, but I want multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. I want the best security I can possibly get and the, the you know, largest amount of security layers that, that are possible. Um, so this, the, the Tilitus key, Mulvad has not released it yet, but you know, they, they're, they've got stuff set up on GitHub already. I mean, this looks like the real deal, including that you can program, um, security keys or not security keys, but you could program, uh, secret keys, shall we say on top of what already comes stock with the Tilitus key. I mean, there, there's some really, really slick features here. This is definitely, like I said, uh, you know, a Yubi key on steroids, totally. And I love it. I mean, I really, really love it. Uh, so something to keep an eye on when that comes out, I'm going to try and get my hands on one and certainly I'll put it through its paces and I will report about it right here on Sovereign Tech. And just to round out the foreplay, uh, I guess we got like three stories here, though it turned out to be four. It's not, we're, we're talking all about hardware, which I'm glad. It feels so rare to actually talk about hardware that is either exciting or at least interesting enough to bother talking about because most hardware is like, oh, it's another fondle slab, boring. You know, oh, it's another computer, boring. Well, this computer's not so boring uh, that we're going to talk about here. And last week on the episode, on episode 491, we talked about how Google canceled uh, its plans for the Pixelbook. Well, as soon as that announcement came out, or at least not long after, uh, it was interesting that Framework, which is a company that makes upgradable and easily repairable um, and modifiable, not just upgradable, but modifiable, is, and you could put different ports on it and everything, uh, laptops. Um, I do not have a Framework laptop. I'd love to try one out. I don't have one, however, um, but I applaud the concept overall. Uh, and they have announced that they are working with Google, like Google and framework are working together. So this is about as close to like an official Google Chromebook as you can get right now outside of the, you know, the Pixelbook Go, um, which is what, three, four years old now. Um, but they framework is going to come out with an upgradable Chromebook. Uh, it is expensive, but I don't think, you know, everybody was kind of like, I don't know. They were, they were sneezing a bit or, or not sneezing. That's the wrong phrase. Uh, they were a little pissed off at the price tag because it starts at a thousand dollars. 
Um, but then those are the same people who are wanting a flagship pixel book. What do you think Google's going to charge for a flagship pixel book? Probably a thousand dollars. Uh, so I don't understand why they're complaining about this, but anyway, so I liked what I saw here. Um, framework in general, again, you can get it with other operating systems. It doesn't have to be a Chromebook. In fact, admittedly, I'm not really sure why it would be a Chromebook. Ultimately, I think the idea here is granted it's powerful. Um, in fact, let's, let's talk about the specs and then I'll get into the idea of it all. Um, but it's going to have a, uh, 13.5 inch three by two display. So it has the taller screen, which, you know, Google digs. Um, and that's at a, uh, 2256 by 1504 resolution. Um, it also has a 12th gen, uh, or at, le at least it looks like it starts with a 12th gen Intel core I five. Um, so that's, you know, that's a fairly latest, uh, spec four plus eight CPU cores. Anyway, 30 watts sustained performance. You know, if, if you're a spec nerd with a Chromebook, I'll let you look into that link is in the show notes. Um, but it's also, and this shows you how tightly they're working, um, with Google. Uh, it is going to have, um, the, the Titan C security ch uh, chip. So, which is part of what allows for verified boot. Um, now most Chrome OS devices will have that unless you're going with Chrome flex, Chrome OS flex, but regardless, I mean, that's how tightly they're in with this. You know, the, the same Titan security chip is the same thing that they put into, um, you know, pixel, like the pixel six and up as far as smartphones. Um, so yeah, you're, you're getting that verified boot. So this is something where, again, they are absolutely working with Google very tightly on this. Uh, what I think that this is really about, and, and like I said, uh, what is it? 64 gig to one terabyte of storage can be put onto it. Great. Um, eight gig of Ram. I would hope they'd allow for that to get upgraded a bit. Um, but we'll see anyway, really modern features on this. It would definitely be a powerful Chromebook. It's a Chromebook. That's going to be able to run uh, steam on it. Uh, they actually expressly stated that, but the real play here, I think this allows because it is upgradable, even though they have not announced whether or not you can up, you know, upgrade the motherboard on it. And no, it's not main board. It's motherboard motherfucker. Um, they have not announced if you can upgrade the motherboard on it because it's supposed to get eight years of updates, which is impressive. You know, it's eight years of official Chrome OS updates. Um, and I would assume if you put a new motherboard on it, that that would increase going forward. But I think really this is all about getting, you know, every company right now is like, oh, by 2030, we'll be net zero carbon emissions or whatever. This is clearly an attempt to make that spreadsheet look good, you know, because it is an upgradable, you know, a, a laptop that what buys them, I don't know, whatever carbon credits, not that that's exactly a thing, but I'm sure that buys them a few thousand carbon credits that will again, look good on their spreadsheet and maybe help them achieve their goals by 2030. I think that's really what's going on here. And maybe that's part of the reason also that the pixel book that was being developed and was far along in development ended up getting canceled because Google knew they were going to come out with this device. Again, it's a nice, like framework laptops are great. Like I love that you can choose what ports you want on it. You know, do you want an ethernet port? Do you want like three USB C's or do you want one USB C and two USB A's? What do you want on it? Like, that's all really cool. And I love the environmental, really, I love the environmental aspect of being able to upgrade the damn thing instead of just chucking laptops every year or two. Not that I do that, but I know most people do, it seems. Um, so, you know, it's a nice move. 
Uh, but I think the real play here is some kind of meeting some kind of spreadsheet goal for, you know, carbon neutrality. That, that's got to be what's going on here. Um, anyway, that's it for the foreplay. You know, if you are looking for a Chromebook, if you are, certainly this is probably the, I, I would say this is the best one on the market next to like what Acer is doing with the Acer Vero, um, which is all made out of like ocean plastics and everything. I, I applaud that all the way. Um, you know, th these are directions to look in. You've, you've got options now instead of, you know, the shitty stuff that's, well, not all of it's been shitty, but there's been a lot of shitty little laptops. And most people think Chromebooks need to be $200. They don't. Is your privacy get thrown out the window? Should you get a discount for it? Absolutely. But, you know, if you want the security, the most secure operating system on the planet, which there's a good argument for it to be that, well, at least it's upgradable. Anyway, we'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Have you had enough of the big name web hosting services that are long on promises, but short on bleeding edge features, uptime and customer service? Or are you just looking for a performance boost for your business's online presence? The answer is Agorist Hosting. Agorist Hosting is the agile web host that offers full concierge service from website redesign, full e-commerce solutions, even custom apps for your Shopify store and more all with security, reliability, redundancy, and privacy at the forefront. Oh, and those bleeding edge features? How about hosting your data in a decentralized system like IPFS, the interplanetary file system? Good luck getting that from those other guys. Agoras Hosting is ready to take your web presence into the future. Head over to agoristhosting.com to get started. That's A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com agoristhosting.com Story of the Week Woo, Speaking of privacy Well, if you thought Yeah, Stallion, I'm not going to buy a Chromebook I don't care if it is made by Framework I am not going to get my all my data used for schlepping ads or have it uploaded to Google Drive where it can get handed over to the government, you know, for whatever willy-nilly reason. And who knows? I mean, we talked about recently how a Google account got shut down, right? Um, because the father, the parents, shall we say, the parents of their young son was, uh, were sending pictures to the doctor via, you know, for telemedicine to, um, you know, hey, there's this problem you know n near my my child's you know nether regions and it got flagged as uh, uh you know child pornography when it wasn't that at all and the police even proved that fact and it got shut down so maybe you're thinking well shit i'm not going to give anything to google i'm not going to do a chromebook i'm not going to use google drive i'm not going to back up my photos to google photos i'm not doing any of that i'm going to go to apple as if you're katie holmes leaving scientology and joining the catholic church Woo! way to upgrade you're going to go to Apple. Well, let's see what that would get you. Of course, it depends on what you are. But then again, <laughs> Google will just say, oh, not child pornography. Oh, you're done. You know, would Apple do the same thing? Well, granted, this is a, a bit of a different case, but I think the abstract point stands. And I actually have two stories I want to get in 
with you. And these are both from nine to five Mac. These are both from within the month of September, 2022. So incredibly fresh. I think they might actually both be by Ben Lovejoy, uh, who's one of the main writers over there. I generally enjoy his work and let's open up with the top one. And then I want to get into the other because there's, because what you're going to, here's, what's going to happen. I'm going to share with you one story and you're going to say, well, sure. That's a nation state actor and it's the government asking for data. So of course they handed it over. Ah, but then, and so you're going to say, well, but it just for me, little old me, whatever, Apple's not going to use their data against me. They're not, Apple's not like Google where they're in the ad business. Oh, let me, let me do what I do so well and destroy your illusions. Top story, Chinese spy convicted with help from iCloud backup of his iPhone reading from nine to five Mac. A Chinese spy carrying out industrial espionage against GE Aviation and Honeywell's Aerospace Division. Who knew, right? You just bought that fan from Walmart that said Honeywell on it. And holy shit, no wonder why that looks like a jet engine. Anyway, uh, <laughs> from Honeywell's Aerospace Division. I don't know if they have a deal with Walmart, but anyway, was caught with the help of access to an iCloud backup of his iPhone. The data obtained include a never before seen copy of a security form used by the Chinese security service when recruiting spies. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce this name right, but Xu Yanjun, uh, an officer in China's Ministry of State Security, the MSS, was arrested and brought to trial in the U.S. after investigators lured him out of the country to a meeting in Belgium from where he was extradited to America. Bloomberg tells the story in dramatic form. Link is in the show notes for this, of course. Uh, but the executive summary is that China targeted academics and engineers working on aerospace projects. They were invited to China on all expenses paid trips where they were ostensibly delivered conference papers, but were really giving away commercially sensitive information on airframe and engine development. Um, I'm going to skip down. You can read a lot of this stuff, but I want to skip ahead. The data was accessible because although iCloud backups are encrypted, they don't use end-to-end -end encryption. This means that Apple holds the key and can hand over data to law enforcement on receipt of a court order. So, Stallion breaking in. Let's make this abundantly clear. And I'm, I've given talks at conferences. I've brought this point up because I will ask the question when I give a talk. Where's, who, what is the company that you feel you know, safest with your data. Most people will say Apple and smart people. And I mean this, they're genuinely intelligent people will often bring up. Well, what about the San Bernardino case where Apple said to the FBI, fuck you, we can't give you this data. Okay. Key phrasing. Sure. Apple might've said, fuck you to the FBI, but they said it's because we can't give you this data. Not because they wouldn't, not because they wouldn't be happy to bend over, grab the ankles and let the FBI do what they need and give them what they want. It's because the way that the FBI handled the iPhone of the San Bernardino shooter those years ago, it destroyed the data. That's, that's why Apple could not physically access it. If they could, like in this case, with this quote unquote Chinese spy, if they could, just as they did here, they gladly hand it over. Apple has no problem handing over your data. They don't care. I mean, are you, are you, uh, what are you thinking? So finally, hopefully with this case, even though there are plenty others, we can put that argument to bed that somehow Apple will say no to the government because that's crap. But as I said earlier, okay, so, well, again, I mean, let, let's, let's raise the flag here. So iCloud 
backups are not end-to-end -end encrypted. Got that? Um, I have Apple devices. The first thing that I turn off, and I know it's just a soft switch, meaning I don't really know if this is going on, I instantly turn off all backups. Unless it's for like pages, like Apple Pages, if I happen to be wanting to use that for some reason because it makes pretty EPUBs. Um, you know, I'll have that backup, but I'll be very, very particular. To be clear, I do the same fucking thing on my smartphone. If I want to back, or, you know, on my Android phone, if I want to back shit up on my Pixel 6, I am connecting it directly to a hard drive or at least to a computer that then is connected to a hard drive. I do not do cloud backups, even though I could with Synology, like with my NAS, I could certainly make that happen. And well, I'd have to look into, I'm pretty sure their photo backup is end-to-end -end encrypted, or at least you can hit the checkbox on that. Um, but that's the thing. I don't exactly know because I don't really bother. Okay. I don't like, there's just no way that I am sending that stuff through in that fashion. Yeah, at best bet, okay, maybe Telegram, you, it's okay to send photos or like Signal, you know, or Threema, you know, one of these messaging apps like we were talking about last week in episode 491. Um, then you're getting some end-to-end -end encryption on the sharing of photos. But I, I have no illusion that Apple or any of the tech giants would somehow protect my fucking data. No way. So I hope you don't either. Now, but you could say, yeah, but Stallion... Apple, you see, here's the thing. How does Apple make its money? Apple makes its money with hardware sales. So they don't, they're not like Google or even Microsoft, who's certainly trying to match Google. They're not like Google or Microsoft or Facebook or those other companies where all the revenue comes from ads. Oh, contraire. Oh, contraire. Let's get into our next story. Also from Ben Lovejoy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this headline, holy hell, Apple ad business growing fast company accused of U-turn and Machiavellian plot Machiavellian plot. Let, let me, let me, let me just, again, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this. Let me skip ahead because the facts speak for themselves. There's not need for a ton of commentary. It's a fact. Actually here, I want to read from this uh, subheader here. Background. Apple has never been anti-ads. Indeed, Steve Jobs saw in-app ads as a win-win for customers and developers alike by enabling money to be made from free apps. However, the ad business never used to be a significant one for Apple's own revenues. Back in Steve, Steve's day, Apple made just a few hundred million a year. Today, that figure is estimated to be five billion dollars and growing fast. Recent signs have pointed to Apple wanting to accelerate the rate of growth. In July, with that's 2022, we saw the company expanding App Store ads from search to the Today tab and more. In August, we learned that Cooper, the Cupertino company now has a dedicated senior ad exec within the services division. Then a Bloomberg report suggested Apple was planning ads within Apple Books and Apple Podcasts. Holy shit, are you going to stop using Apple Podcasts? I hope. And you got Pocket Cast there, and that's owned by another company, which, well, anyway, moving right along. You, you take your pick. There's plenty of great, great podcast apps. What is it, Overcast? Is that the big one on? Anyway, there's plenty of great ones even on Apple that aren't Apple Podcasts. Moving on. All of this comes after Apple made life tougher. And this is a key point, Stanley Breaking in. 
made life tougher for third-party ad platforms by introducing ad tracking transparency. That made it harder for companies like Facebook and Google to get the data required to sell personalized ads, which are worth much more money than randomly placed ones. An antitrust investigation is already underway because while Apple requires third-party apps to ask permission for ad tracking, the company doesn't do this in its own apps. There's the key deal. I want to read more, but Stallion breaking in. End the quote right there, okay? This speaks to also maybe why, if you remember, it was at episode 490 where we were talking about how VPNs were not blocking Apple's uh, traffic from, you know, Apple's main aspects of iOS as well as Apple's own apps, that that traffic was not going through the VPN until, if it even did, until hours later or more. Is this because Apple knows that it wants to be able to send personalized ads and it needs to see that traffic that the VPN is supposed to be hiding and protecting? Oh, I don't, that supposition, sure. That speculation, sure. But I think that, oh baby, that's so highly likely as to why for years since they've known this problem with VPNs, they haven't done jack shit about it. And let's be clear here that most ad blockers on iOS, which I applaud them for having ad blockers available on there, most of those ad blockers are functioning in some form or fashion via the VPN service of iOS itself. Machiavellian? Oh, fuck yeah. Let's keep reading. Apple ad business hiring accelerates. The Financial Times reports that Apple has quadrupled its hiring rate between 2020 and today. Apple plans to nearly double the workforce in its fast-growing digital advertising business less than 18 months after it introduced sweeping privacy changes that hobbled its bigger rivals in the lucrative industry. The iPhone maker has about 250 people on its ad platform team, according to LinkedIn. According to Apple's careers website, it's looking to fill another 216 such roles, almost quadruple the 56 it was hiring in late 2020. Apple disputed the figures, but declined to elaborate. Um, and, you know, this is this is the key point here. There, are, This is the second key point. Is, is there anything wrong with Apple wanting to get into the ad business? Ultimately not. In fact, like this, this doesn't shock me at all. Um, I've even said in the past that, oh, believe me, they're going to get into ads sooner or later. You know, like that money is just too good. And they have iOS, which is now even in the United States, uh, a larger platform than Android for the very first time or for the first time in a very long time in, in probably over 10 years. Why are you not going to schlep people ads on that? Are you kidding? Or inversely, you know, get people to sign up the $10 a month for Apple news, right? To get rid of the ads one way or the other, you're making money off the ads, whether it's by not showing people or it's by showing it to them. I mean, like the, 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 you know, Microsoft's been trying to crack the nut that Google has with ad services for a very long time. That's why nobody uses Bing. Yeah. But you don't understand Microsoft can't stop. Can't, they cannot shut down Bing. They can't. It's just too much of a gold mine for it to not be there. They've got to do it. That matters. That's what, and ever since Windows 10, you've had a specific ad ID, right? Microsoft wasn't into it either, but it's just, it's too rich. It, it's too attractive. They've got to go for that money. And I mean, look what Apple's already doing. Five billion over just a few million? Five billion. But look, whether it's okay for them to do it or not, let's just call it, it is fucking insidious that they gave app or Facebook a hard time. They gave so many companies a hard time on iOS, making it 
having making them essentially have to rewrite their entire ad business to be able to even get like a, just a tenth of the money that they were getting before via iOS users. Um, and then, you know, to find out that, oh, they're developing their own ad platform, you know, in their own ad business. Yeah, I mean, that Machiavellian might be the right word here, folks. You know, as to where before, everybody's like, oh, Apple's so fucking great. Good for them. They don't need the ad money. They don't. No, no, no. It wasn't that they didn't need the ad money. It's that they wanted it for themselves. They're not anti-ad. They're not pro-privacy. They just want, they want the gold. That's what it's all about. They want the oil. So the point here with both of these stories, I'm going to wrap this up. The point here, stop pretending that Apple is a pro-privacy company. Stop pretending that Apple is in any way better than Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Twitter, Samsung. Take your pick of the company. Stop confusing yourself on that. Stop, stop, stop lying to yourself about that if you think that. Now, I mean, if you're in Apple's ecosystem and you got shit to get done and you're using Apple products, hey, I get it. I have a Windows, granted it's Windows 7, I have a Windows machine in front of me. Like, I understand that we got to use what we use to get through the world that we're in and hopefully build that, you know, proper future where we can have the technology only that we want instead of that we need to deal with the capitalist asshats around us. I'm all about getting to that and I understand that you got to use some ugly shit sometimes to do it. But... Do not pretend that any of these companies give a rat's fucking ass about you ever or that they are going to protect you ever. They are not. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Science. Outer space. Psychology. Book and movie recommendations. Fiction from the Sovereign Universe. Travels to points of mystery and the unexplained. And even spirituality? All of that can only mean one thing. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter. By me, Ellen Sovereign. Along with some stuff by that crazy man I call my husband, Dr. Brian Sovereign. It's the latest tool in your self-directed education. The education that really matters. If you want to cut through the crap of mainstream media ass clowns, sign up for the Sovereign Technica newsletter right now at sovereign.substack.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N The Sovereign Technica newsletter. Welcome to the future. Listener's choice. Oh, and you say to me, Stanley, can you give me one more? (laughs) You hit them all. You hit Google. You've been hitting Microsoft. You pummeled Apple. Can you give me one more? I'll give you one more. Let's go after Facebook, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> the worst of the bunch. And oh, I mean that. I mean, they're all, they're all fucking assholes. Just a gackle of slap nuts. But boy, if there was one that came up like a bobblehead, you know, that you just wanted to, 
know, play whack-a-mole with or something. It would be Mark Zuckerberg. And I wouldn't be feel so bad about it because he's an android, not really human. But, oh, wait. Uh, I'm sorry, all of you robots out there. I didn't mean to insult you with that. I'm so sorry. Okay? You are not like Mark Zuckerberg. He is not like you. He is scum. And to prove the point, got a story from the New York Post here. And this is coming in. Of course, we're in listener's choice here, which means you get me the stories that you want me to talk about. And baby, I'll talk about them. You don't know what I'm going to say. Might agree with you, might not, but I'll talk about them. Here we go from the New York Post by Marinda Devine. Interesting name. Here we go. Facebook spied on private messages of Americans who questioned 2020 election. Well, if we look at the stats of that, standing breaking in, I mean... I, th I think it was even in 2020, wasn't it still like the largest majority just didn't vote? So did they spy on most Americans? <laughs> Let's read it from New York Post. Facebook has been spying on the private messages and data of American users and reporting them to the FBI if they express anti-government or anti-authority sentiments or question the 2020 election, according to sources within the Department of Justice. I mean, it always kills me, standing breaking. It always fucking kills me. Like, sometimes, I mean, it's rare these days, it seems, where I still end up, you know, talking to, like, in person, where I end up talking to more libertarian types or whoever else, and, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I shared it on Facebook or whatever, and it's like, I mean, you just, and I guess it's okay if you want to be, maybe you're kind of an exhibitionist or something, but, like, do you just want to be on the list? Like, like, like don't you want to even, like, try to not? I don't know. I mean, some of us, sure, we do podcasts where we're as anti-authoritarian as fuck. Like I said, I get called the most dangerous man alive often enough. But I don't get it. Anyway, okay, whatever. Use Facebook. Moving on. <laughs> schedule, schedule that meeting, baby. <laughs> schedule that anti-government rally on Facebook. Doing great. All right. Uh, <laughs> Under the FBI uh, a collaboration operation, somebody at Facebook red flagged these supposedly subversive, somebody did it, uh, subversive private messages over the past 19 months and transmitted. Oh, I see. Stop, stop, stop. Stallion, stallion. Relax. I used Facebook Messenger. Oh, it was a private message. Oh, you did so much better. They didn't read those. They wouldn't read those. Those don't get shared. Those didn't go, don't get held up and used against you at all. Because they're private, right? I don't know what the fuck that word means anymore. Reading on. These supposedly subversive private messages over the... I, I do like that the New York Post said supposedly subversive, right? Because, again, questioning authority doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. As we always say, it's just supposed to be about questioning authority. And that's just something that human beings, I think, naturally do. We're all born anarchists and atheists, but... I guess some of us forget that. Actually, a lot of us do. Okay, reading on. Uh, the, over the past 19 months and transmitted them, so these private messages on Facebook, past 19 months, transmitted them in redacted form to the Domestic Terrorism Operational Unit uh, at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. without a subpoena. Quote, it was done outside the legal process and without probable probable cause and quote alleged one of the sources who spoke on condition of anonymity. Imagine that they actually got some anonymity. Wasn't on Facebook quote. Facebook provides the FBI with private conversations, which are protected by the first amendment without any subpoena End quote. Now stallion, I'm breaking in. I want to break in right here real quick. 
Because what has Facebook been saying for the past, uh, we'll give them five years. Oh yeah, we care about privacy, privacy, privacy. I could probably play a whole montage. In fact, I will play an entire montage of Mark Zuckerberg talking about privacy. Let's do it. Hey everyone, welcome to F8. Today, we are going to talk about building a privacy-focused social platform. Mark Zuckerberg took the stage at Facebook's annual F8 developer conference earlier today. After a tumultuous year that involved all sorts of privacy issues and data leaks, the CEO outlined the steps the company is taking to make Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and its other services more private. But before that, the CEO had a few laughs about the company's recent privacy woes. Now look, I, I get that a lot of people aren't sure that we're serious about this. I know that we don't exactly have the, the strongest reputation on privacy right now, to put it lightly. Zuckerberg then launched into six principles the company is focusing on. Private interactions. Encryption, reducing permanence, safety, interoperability, and finally, secure data storage. Some of the approaches the company is taking are enabling end-to-end -end encryption on its messaging platforms and building safety precautions into products before shipping them. Zuckerberg also emphasized the company won't store its data in countries where the data could be at risk. Because you should expect that we're not going to store sensitive data in countries where it may be improperly accessed, either because there's weak rule of law or because a government might try to forcibly get access to your data. So over the next few years, uh, we're gonna build more of our services around these ideas. One of the big announcements was a new redesign coming later this year. The new Facebook design will put an emphasis more on groups and communities. And Zuckerberg says plans are already in place to address misuse and misinformation. And you know, while we're recommending uh, groups for people to join, we're very focused on making sure that our recommendations and discovery surfaces um, aren't highlighting groups where people are repeatedly sharing misinformation or harmful content. And we're working hard uh, to completely remove groups if, if they exist primarily to, to violate our policies or, um, or, or do things that are dangerous. Um, so that, that's just been a very big focus for us here. As he finished speaking, Zuckerberg was upfront that it's still early in the company's new privacy-focused mission. It's still early, uh, but if we get this right, then using all of these services is going to be a fundamentally different experience a few years from now. Because we believe that for the future, people want a privacy-focused social platform. Looks like he's come a long way from thinking people don't care about their privacy. So if we work hard and, and deliver this vision that we've laid out today, then I'm going to be proud of the difference that we've made. So thank you all. I'm looking forward to doing this together and have a great F8. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mark. I uh, hope I'm not interrupting. You got a sec? Have you got, have you got Oppie with you? Uh, I think Oppie's still in the virtual forest, but I always have time for you. What's going on? Look, I, I just love the presentation so far. It's, it's such visionary stuff. But as you mentioned early on, with all big technological advances, there are inevitably going to be in all sorts of challenges and uncertainties. And I know you've talked about this a bit already, but people want to know how we're going to do all this in a responsible way, and especially that we play our part in helping to keep people safe and protect their privacy online. Yeah, that's right. This is incredibly important. 
the way I look at it is that in the past, the speed that new technologies emerged sometimes left policymakers and regulators playing catch up. So on the one hand, companies get accused of charging ahead too quickly, and on the other, tech people feel that progress can't afford to wait for the slower pace of, of regulation. And I really think that it doesn't have to be the case this time round. Because we have years until the metaverse we envision is fully realized. So this is the start of the journey, not the end. Like I said earlier, interoperability, open standards, privacy and safety need to be built into the metaverse from day one. And with all the novel technologies that are being developed, everyone who's building for the metaverse should be focused on building responsibly from the beginning. This is one of the lessons that I've internalized from the last five years. It's that you really want to emphasize these principles from the start. So at Connect last year, Boz outlined our responsible innovation principles, and the first one was never surprise people. Right, and, and that means being transparent about how things work what data is collected, and how that data is used over time. It also means giving people easy-to-use safety controls, as well as age guidance and parental controls for when youngsters are using these products. And we're spending a lot of time talking with experts and getting perspectives from outside the company on what we're building, even before we build it. And this is about designing for safety and privacy and inclusion before the products even exist. Ha! Ha! Oh, please! We care about your privacy as you're handing over data to the FBI without subpoena. You're just handing it over. No legal process at all. The FBI just says, hey, give us the data. And you just hand it over. And you care about privacy. Fuck you. Well, we're talking a lot about people lying to you in this episode. Man, this might be the biggest one yet. Let's read a little more of the story, shall we? These private messages then have been farmed out as quote unquote leads to FBI field officers around the country, which subsequently requested subpoenas from the partner U.S. attorney's office in their district to officially obtain the private conversations that Facebook had already shown them. So like, it's like after the fact, okay, all right, y'all, yeah, no, this one's good. All right, now let's go through the actual like legal process. Why? Why keep up the charade? that somehow you serve the people. Why keep up the charade that somehow you're protecting the people? Protecting the people means protecting their, their, their liberties, right? And I thought privacy was one of those in America. Again, I'm speaking from a conventional American standpoint. I don't believe in morality or the concept of rights, but you know, if we're going to play that game, they're playing the game because they'll go for the subpoenas after the fact, after they've already seen it. I mean, it's a fucking dog and pony show. Have any of you even watched the Bourne, the Jason Bourne movies lately? Maybe you need to go through that series again. Because if you think this shit's new, that this just happened in 2020, I've got a lesson for you. Let's make a new t-shirt. Robert Ludlum was right. How about that? Moving right along. Actually, no, no, no. Before we move on. No, you know what it should be? Casper Bowden was right. Cas the late, great Casper Bowden, who we have brought up many times, ex-Microsoft employee who became a fucking activist, hardcore activist, and proved the point that it was a law on the books in the United States that any company that runs server operations in the United States has to hand over the data on those servers upon request. We've already known that this was going on. 
He proved it. He got laughed out. He was called and you know whatever terrible names that Silicon Valley and even I dare say journalists wanted to call that guy, but he was right. 20 years ago. Let's keep going. But when the targeted Facebook users were investigated, or yeah, okay. But when the targeted Facebook users were investigated by agents in a local FBI field office, sometimes using covert surveillance techniques, nothing criminal or violent turned up. Quote, it was a waste of our time, end quote, said one source familiar with subpoena requests lodged during a 19-month frenzy by FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. to produce the caseload to match the Biden administration's rhetoric on domestic terrorism after the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot. So, you know, there's that 19-month period. The Facebook users whose private communications Facebook had red flagged as domestic terrorism for the FBI were all, quote, conservative right wing individuals, end quote, quote, they were gun toting red blooded Americans who were angry after the election and shooting off their mouths and talking about staging protests. There was nothing criminal, nothing about violence or massacring or assassinating anyone. As soon as a a subpoena was requested within an hour, Facebook sent back gigabytes of data and photos. It was ready to go. I bet they had the guy running really fast to go grab those Blu-rays. They were just waiting for that legal process so they could send it, end quote. So, okay, so then Facebook's like, okay, look, we already showed you, but like to make it official, could you get the official word? That way it looks good for the investors or whatever the fuck. But they were, Facebook was just dying. Please let us send you this data. We can't wait to send you this data, daddy. In two, let's see, oh, Facebook denied the allegations. Of course they did. In two contrasting statements sent one hour apart, Erica Sacken, a spokesperson at Facebook's parent company Meta, claimed Facebook's interactions with the FBI were designed to, quote, protect people from harm, end quote. I don't know about you, the only people I am aware of that are trying to harm me are actually all the alphabet soup organizations out there, including the ones that begin with F, C, N, and others. I don't have any Americans around me threatening me. The only people who are pointing guns at me, as far as I can tell, are my own government. So Facebook, do you want to you protect us? Maybe don't hand over all that gigabytes of data? How do you protect yourself, though? There's more in the story. You can read it. Link is in the show notes. It's actually pretty lengthy. Um, you know, it's a, it a very lengthy affair. And look, I don't even need to get into Okay. Because part of what the New York Post gets into, because they're the fucking New York Post. Oh, well, they didn't flag any of the, the, the Antifa, you know, they, they, they didn't flag Antifa. They only flagged the conservatives. Holy shit, this is, they're, they're coming after our guns. They're coming after America. They're coming after this, Facebook, blah, blah. We don't even have to get into that. Like, the, the, all it takes, what happens to one group will eventually happen to the other. You just have to, you know, make it acceptable to the right people long enough. So that whole thing, oh, this is a a conspiracy. This is a leftist conspiracy against the right or whatever. Look, man, if you're not living above that left, right bullshit, I don't care what Facebook's doing or who they're flagging. Because again, it's only a matter of time before they flag everyone. And ultimately everybody is flagged. Ultimately that gigabytes of data is always there. Sooner or later. What's the old, the old statistic? Everybody engages in what? Two felonies a day, (laughs) or at least two misdemeanors breaks two laws a day. But anyway, if you're not living above all of that, look, you're all targeted. You're all targeted. The best thing that you can do is just 
In fact, the Sovereign Tech listener that shared this with me had it right on the money. Just delete your fucking social media account. Like, <laughs> that's it. You know, and, 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 and it le- I hope you have no, uh, you also have no illusions with Facebook or with anybody, you know, like that this idea, oh, I, I send private messages so that can't get, that can't get used against me in court. Oh no, they're just waiting to use it against you in court. They can't really, they can't wait. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no privacy to be had there. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm, I'm really in awe that, that people are still using this platform. This one above all others. I mean, Twitter's no better. Like, don't count on Twitter. I mean, we, we know th- their security model is one of the worst in fucking history. Okay. Um, I mean, that's a story we'll get into in the future because it's important to talk about considering just how important it seems that Twitter has become to the conversation around the globe. But man, get, get away from this company. This is the one company. And look, you can say, well, yeah, but grandma's on there and she's not going to get off of there. Holy shit. Can you, are you really, you can't like explain this to grandma. Okay. I loved my grandma, loved her. And boy, would I make the case with her if at that time this sort of thing existed, I would have said, Grandma, like, you just, you got to trust me and you got to delete this. This has got to go. Like, this is stuff that should be talked about. And I'm pretty sure I, you know, and granted my, my grandmother was a smarter woman or a smarter person and nothing to do with being a woman, smarter person than most. Okay. And I, and I know she would have gotten it. But it's time to really convince grandma and make the fucking case. And I don't care what you've got to do. We talked about it last week. Get grandma onto Telegram or Signal or whatever. Trust me, she can figure it out if she can figure out Facebook. Okay, this is enough. I don't care about we. You got to stop caring about the network effect. You got to stop caring about was like, well, it's inertia and whatever. Yeah, there's times where that can be so. But now we're talking about data getting sent off with no, you know, with no legal recourse, ultimately we've got data getting sent off just willy nilly. And they're just, I mean, this is a company that it's proven that they are just dying to hand it over. They can't wait to hand it over when your data is on the line. And when a company wants to play fast and loose with your data, just like I said, with Microsoft, when Microsoft with windows 10, when, the, when that data was just getting deleted and gone off the operating system from windows 10. There's a reason I'm using windows seven folks. When that happened, that company no longer gets your business. I no longer pay money for a Microsoft 365 account. I don't pay money for any of that bullshit because they're not getting my money. Because when a company plays fast and loose with your data, it's over right then you say, stop. Get off this fucking platform. Be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Maybe we'll have some fun after this. Hey, baby, I know, I know. You are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup. And it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. 
You know, I mean, all of that was to say nothing. <laughs> We're going to talk about games. We're going to try and have some fun. But all of that is to say nothing of the points that I brought up over and over again. That, you know, Facebook was a company that was literally engaging in um, non-consensual behavioral experiments. Behavioral experiments that potentially, and I would argue did, lead to suicides. Led to the death of people. Behavioral experiments. That is a fact. And that was a long time ago. And I just don't see them doing it, being any better a steward of, you know, data that gets presented to me and data that I give them. Not that fortunately I don't, I've been off of Facebook forever, thankfully, or at least for a very, very, very long time. Um, so, you know, the hard part is with these companies though, and let's admit this, these companies are so fucking huge. Like you really, it's, you know, the conglomeratization of the bulk of the world, not just America, um, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to get out from under the thumb of companies that do something fucking heinous to you to say nothing of the government money heat map. I mean, there's just government money everywhere. So even when you're anti-government, I mean, all you can do is, you know, you're just going to have to run to the woods and even then good luck. So I get that. And it's a challenge, right? Because, you know, when I say like, I'm not going to give Microsoft my money anymore, you know, but then you might be really into Halo, right? And you might really be into Xbox. I mean, the thing is like, these companies are so fucking massive, bigger than any other, than, than most of our understanding of economics, previous understanding of economics, economics over the past hundred years would allow, like we could barely imagine companies getting to this size. And I'm not even saying that companies with these kinds of, uh, uh, near monopolistic power or monopsonistic, um, you know, like, are there good things that can come out of that? That is a very complicated, very nuanced conversation to have. And it's one that I will have. In fact, I know I'm going to talk about it. Some of it on the upcoming Wednesday Q and a, uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash sovereign tech for that. Um, but you know, I want to be clear on that, that it can be very hard. You say like, okay, I'm going to avoid this company when in some ways it's almost impossible. I do think you can kind of get away with not giving the money or at least severely decreasing the amount of money you give them. But anyway, I will empathize with that. And that's a conversation that has to be had somewhat going forward. But that's the point with Facebook. There is no argument. There is no fucking reason to be on Facebook or anything that meta produces Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever. I know in parts of the world, WhatsApp is very difficult to get around with. And so maybe that's a little bit different, but again, you know, they didn't, that's the other problem too. They, they didn't even create like YouTube, Google didn't create YouTube, but now YouTube is Google, even though arguably it's under alphabet and it's a, supposedly a separate company. Yeah. Right. It's complex, but just lessen your exposure as much as you can with these things. Now, why am I saying this when we're going into game talk? Because, um, I want to talk about a new device that I think is very much a sign of the times. And, um, speaking of things, getting at scales that we could never have imagined. I mean, if you talk to me in the nineties and, you know, if you said, Hey, you know, in the future, there are actually going to be multiple types of gamers, meaning there would be like entire different communities of gamers and different styles of gaming. I would have said you were nuts, right? Because the person who plays Final Fantasy is the same person who plays Pokemon. The person who plays Pokemon is the same person who plays Warcraft three. You know, like, like there, there was just, you were a gamer, you gamed everywhere and anywhere. 
In 2022, and really this has been going on for a few years, but in 2022, that is no longer true. There are now gamers who play entirely in the cloud. And then there are gamers who play entirely as if it was still 1995. And Satan bless them. I'm with you. Okay, like, and, and, and it's going to splinter even more from that. There are gamers who are technically gamers that only ever play, like, you know, little penny-annie money-sucking games, endlessly money-sucking games on, you know, on, on their mobile device, whether it's Apple or Android. So there's a lot of different types of gamers now. Again, that would have been unheard of for me, you know, even like 20 years ago, I would have been like, no, no, there's no way. Like, yeah, okay, there's people who like, you know, GameCube more than they like PS2, but we're all basically gamers here, you know, and that's not true anymore. So a device that is really a sign of the times, I think, is Logitech's, uh, what they call the G Cloud. And this is a full-on device that is coming to stores near you. Um, certainly a competitor of sorts. It looks a lot like the Nintendo Switch. You know, let's be clear that Nintendo really fucking innovated with that. It looks a lot like the Nintendo Switch. Looks a bit like, um, you know, the Steam Deck, which, of course, copied the Nintendo Switch. But anyway, the difference here is that the concept behind this device, it's Android-based. Okay, so it's effectively a little Android tablet with controllers on each side of it uh, with 12-hour battery life, which, not bad. Um, it, it, it's meant to only run cloud services. The best data I could find, and it took me a while to find a story that would tell me what this was, I was looking for what's the onboard storage, because I don't believe it has a micro SD card slot, as far as I could tell. Again, we're still getting some details on this thing, even though I think it's launching in October of 2022. Um, but the best I could find was that it has 64 gig of onboard storage. Now, that's enough to put, like, Xbox Game Pass, you know, GeForce Now or maybe Stadia or whatever on there, you know, a cloud service platform. And that's all that this device is supposed to do. This is a device not meant to play games locally. It is meant to install the app that gives you access to the cloud gaming services, like the ones I mentioned and more. Okay, I imagine Amazon's Luna would be on there as well. Um, and, you know, as long as you got a strong Wi-Fi connection, which is really what you need with that, like no 5G connection is going to give you the speeds you need to play these games uh, efficaciously. The AAA games, anyway. And away you go, you know, and, and, and you're, you're off to the races playing. Um, again, you know, I mean, the stats overall, I don't think are that big of a deal. Um, this, the onboard storage one mattered because it is ultimately just an Android tablet. Um, so I didn't understand why it couldn't ultimately play, you know, like you could go to the Play Store, you know, go to the Google Play Store and download Knights of the Old Republic you know, or something along those lines and play it on the device. Well, that is fairly limited storage, but that's why I wanted to know about that. Um, but it's a seven inch touchscreen. It has 1080p. It does, uh, you know, it has uh, uh, a 60 hertz refresh. Um, and it should be able to handle most of like with GeForce Now, that would put you in like the 3080 tier uh, on that. It will have Android 11, which that's good you know, you're getting into more, a little bit more advanced security with that. But again, if you're putting a limited amount of apps on here, that might not be so much of an issue. Um, but four gig of Ram, uh, and, oh, it does actually, I just saw this in this story in the specific one I pulled up from nine to five Google. They do say it comes with a micro SD card. So this could be done used for Android gaming in general, which actually makes it a little more attractive because an Android device 
is a phenomenal retro gaming device. Meaning you could play, especially with what this, this is a Snapdragon 720G. That could easily, I mean, that's kind of a mid-tier processor, but that could easily play um, like Redream. So you could do Dreamcast games on here. You could put RetroArch on there or Lemuroid, you know, and you're going to play everything from, you know, the original NES to PlayStation 1. Um, this could be a really great retro gaming device, but here's the problem with it overall. I don't mind the idea, and there are people, again, who are very much into cloud gaming, and there is some attractiveness to the proposition of, you know, of cloud gaming in general. It has its problems as well, make no mistake. I'm not fully supportive of it, even though I get why some people would pay for, like, an Ultimate Game Pass for Xbox. You know, 15 bucks a month and play all those AAA games, you got a great Wi-Fi connection. I totally understand where people would be coming from, from a price point. But this thing is $350. And... I think that that is getting into, if it was $200, I think you'd have a winner here. That is not the price point you want to be at for what is ultimately an Android phone or, you know, an Android tablet. Like you're better off just buying an Android tablet and getting like a, you know, getting like a, like an 8-bit Doe Pro 2 controller that will, that'll give you a lot more options as far as remappable buttons, I'm sure. Though maybe they're going to have that within the software with this. We won't know really until it comes out. Um, but that, that price point's just too much because you could get, fuck, you can get a Switch Lite refurb for under $200, you know, and and you're going to be able to play all those Nintendo games. You're going to get access to a very impressive retro gaming library, many of which are not available, you know, on any of these cloud streaming services. Um, and you're sure as fuck not getting Nintendo's catalog there, not their new one, especially. Um, I don't see this as a Switch killer by any means. Uh, it's really... You're on this because you are totally dedicated to cloud gaming or maybe Android gaming in general. That, that's got to be the mindset. But I still think your better option is getting an 8-bit, uh, an 8-bit Doe Pro 2 controller and then just using your smartphone. Like I, I, The specs here just aren't enough to get me like that excited. I agree that this is a market that wants to get served. I just think this is failing, not on the hardware itself, but on the price point, it's way off. Um, and to some degree, it doesn't exactly make sense. Like this is a case where having two separate devices, a gaming device and your smartphone doesn't exactly make sense to me. Um, but there might be people out there. I mean, this will probably go down in price to 250 in a heartbeat. And then it would, then it becomes a lot more interesting. So I get it. There's a market to be served here, but ultimately you missed the mark on it. You know, like you, you really did. And, and, I have a hard time believing Logitech is going to give it the same support that, say, like NVIDIA has given to Shield TV, um, which, you know, the NVIDIA Shield was kind of the proof positive that this kind of people were looking for this sort of thing. I really part of me. OK, now that I say that part of me actually hopes this does really well. And NVIDIA makes another NVIDIA Shield where like the device is built into the controller itself and it's like a flip up screen. I love that form factor, even though this isn't a bad form factor. I really, really like uh, what, what NVIDIA was doing years ago. Uh, anyway, let's, let's wrap this up and we'll be right back with some more Sovertech, some more fun stuff. I'll be right back with more. Journey into the far reaches of aqua space. Attention, security brief. Great for impact. Seal out of doors, rig for collision. Launch countermeasures. Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. 
Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Album of the week. Oh man, when I say fun stuff, boy, I am not kidding about right here. Um, this <laughs> this is album of the year, folks, and I don't think anything could come in and change it. Like this is just this is flat out album of 2022. It blows everything else right out of the water. In fact, Mrs. Sovereign and I, we were coming back from uh, from dinner and a movie. And I said, you know, love, I was like, you, you, look, can I, can I play some music for you on the drive home? Can, can I play some music for you? This is, this is just going to blow your mind. And she's like, yeah, sure. You know, we love music. So I popped it on. And it's not going to be a surprise to most, but it's a metal pick. Anyway, the band is Victorious. Now it's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-U-S. Of course, it's in the show notes as well for you to find. This is a band that's been around for a little while. Uh, in previous albums of the week, I have talked about them. Um, I particularly brought up their 2020 release, which was called Space Ninjas from Hell. Now, that title alone is brilliant. Didn't even have to be great music. Like, you got me listening when you've titled your album Space Ninjas from Hell, right? But then I put it on, and they're basically an even cheesier version of Dragon Force. But not only that, you can actually understand their lyrics, which is Pretty key compared to Dragon Force. As much as I love Dragon Force, okay? And I really do. You know, I've reviewed the concert that uh, Ellen and I went to. Uh, for them, they are just as amazing live uh, as they are on album. And I mean that. Like, they're, they're just frantic, intense, incredible. In fact, I've often called Dragon Force the epitome of, like, music. Like, this is as high as you can get. This is as far as you can go with metal. You know, and, like, that's the peak and that's the end of it. Well... Let me tell you about Victorious's album titled from 2022 Dinosaur Warfare Part 2 The Great Ninja War. Now I thought Space Ninjas from Hell was a great fucking title for an album. <laughs> I mean, I I had to change my underwear. You understand? This baby opens up with uh, uh Saurus Invictus Laserus is the the little opener. Just exciting you know, sounds a little bit of an epic score coming in for about a minute and 16 seconds. Laser sounds in the background. You're hearing mammoths. You're hearing dinosaurs roaring. It's really quite impressive. And then it gets into track two of Victorious Dino Gods. And this is where, you know, to, to quote Gladiator, this is where you unleash hell. And it just keeps going and going. And it's so intense. And you can understand the lyrics. The singing's actually really good. The speed of the guitars is insane. There are lasers blasting everywhere. And then about two minutes in of this four minute and 40 second, 46 second opus, it slows right down and you get a speech for the dinosaurs to rise once again and defend the people of earth. Maybe against Facebook. I don't know, but that's what it says. And then that speech ends and it opens right up into guitars. And what are these guitars? What are these, the, 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 the sirens of awesomeness playing a sped up metal version of the Jurassic Park theme 
three minutes into this song and I go to tears when I hear it. The whole thing. And it is so fucking white hot. And then the song ends and you don't know what happened to your pants. You don't know where your shoes are. You don't know how you ended up in a whole other state while you were driving. Because after that comes Mighty Magic Mammoth, another four-minute opus. And even when that's done, you're, you go to, to a song, I mean, because you're thinking, like, oh, this can't get better. I just got done with Mighty Magic Mammoth. But then Jurassic Jet Fighters comes on. There's bombs dropping. There's lasers everywhere. And, and just, just a chorus that sounds sounds like something that just that dropped out of Asgard. This is the, one of the most amazing albums you're ever going to hear in your life. And I mean that. <laughs> this band, this band, I thought, I thought that as high as you could go was Dragon Force, right? That's what I was telling you earlier. I thought that's as high as you can go. That's the, ep- the epitome of metal music. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 because while Dragon Force, well, I don't mind their lyrical content at all. Sounds like the soundtrack to Lord of the Rings. Oh, no, baby. When you start bringing in dinosaurs and fucking laser beams. When you when 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 we've gotten to the point like this should be you should be listening to this and you should be laughing your ass off, right? Because it's so fucking corny. The problem is it's so awesome at the same time. It's so sincere that it just takes on like a whole other level. You've come full circle. It's not funny anymore. Now it's a fucking rallying cry for the most amazing things to appear in your life. And that's victorious. They might be the greatest band ever. And just to make things sweeter, don't worry. You, you know, when, when, when this hour of just, just sonic destruction gets done with your body, You've got another five, six albums to listen to by them. And you're in for a great time. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Ooh, fucking ooh. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com and the strange 
And that, my friends, is why I am the greatest podcaster alive, baby. Woo! <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I know I might have been a little, little verbose in my review of Dinosaur Warfare Part 2. Man, just saying that name gets you excited. Um, but no, <laughs> it's really every inch as good as I said it was. And so am I. In fact, to prove it, no. All right, I'm going to stop with the bravado. Uh, it is time for the Ancient and the Strange. And as I have been doing uh, the past couple episodes, I am going to do once again. Again, I'm not going to do this for every Ancient and the Strange. And eventually, we're going to get into the subjects that I want to get into. But I want to get this conversation around spirituality like i want this down and in your ears now you can sign up for the sovereign technica sovereign technica newsletter you heard the ad for it earlier sovereign.substack.com okay and you get your hookup you can get the free version and the spirituality sections in the free version you can read it if you want but there was so much demand for an audio version and i think that it fits so well with teeing up for a lot of the subjects we're going to get into in the ancient and the strange and not only that but eventually, some of this conversation about spirituality has to bleed into the conversation around technology. Because we, well, you heard it all earlier. I don't have to rehash that. But some of the answers are going to come from much of what we're talking about in this segment. Uh, and particularly what I've been talking about in the spirituality section um, in the Sovereign Technica newsletter itself. So what I'm going to do here, as again, as I've done in the past couple episodes, is read from issue three. Last two episodes were issue one and issue two, respectively. Now I'm going to read from issue number three, the spirituality segment. And when we got to issue number three, Ellen's like, hey, we should give these things titles. And I was like, yeah, you're right. We should give these segments like titles, not just like the spirituality segment, but like give the, give the write-up a title, you know, give it a headline. And this one was spirituality, morality, authoritarianism, and you. And I think this actually fits in very well with much of what we've been talking about throughout this episode, especially in the first half of it, um, about, you know, authoritarianism and anti-authoritarianism. And I think spirituality is actually a really major part of that. Um, and, well, I'll just let myself get into it. Here we go from issue number three, the spirituality segment. Spirituality, morality, authoritarianism, and you. Morality doesn't exist. I could stop writing this whole section right there. It's less than enough and you need to deal with it. Please feel free to show me a shred of scientific evidence. Pick any tool you want. You could even measure to the Planck scale and I guarantee you won't find any atom or molecule that comprises a thing called morality. You can't measure it. That means you can't quantify it. That means for all intents and purposes of what proves that something exists, morality does not. But... Dr. Sovereign, you ask. By that logic, can you actually measure the aspects of spirituality that you discuss? Yes. Yes, you can. We will get to that in a future segment. While there is an argument to be made from biological liberties that could create a certain kind of shared ethics between humans based on their natural biological capacity for things like empathy, that's a subject to explore another time and not in the spirituality section, or at least I don't necessarily see it as a fit. I make the statement morality doesn't exist to make it clear that what I'm about to say is not a moral argument and also that you have no moral obligation to not do what I'm about to discuss. I'll say it straight here in the early goings in the fictional legal frameworks that surround us take advantage of spirituality. 
use it against the state. What are you saying, Dr. Sovereign, that I should make religious slash spiritual arguments against laws that infringe upon my personal liberties? Yep. And do it hard and often. Last time in the spirituality section, I discussed recording your spiritual experiences and the truths you discover about yourself and the universe in your spirituality, be it as a book or a podcast or whatever. While that has inherent value with no need for any other reasoning, I'm going to give you another reason. You can point to it when your employer, the state, or anyone else tries to slam the hammer of domination on your head. And just to double down, go ahead, get that religious exemption from your rabbi to get out of whatever you're required to take. Whether you believe in the religious organization you are appealing to or not, just do it. I mean, if you actually do believe it, hey, kudos for getting to stay honest. Frankly, even just a couple of years ago, I would have never said or recommended anything like this. And I know that what I'm saying here isn't new or revolutionary. Well, it might be revolutionary in one definition of that term. But since 2020, I've come to appreciate the special privilege that religion has in our civilization. Years ago on Sovereign Tech, I used to claim that religion is far more dangerous than the government. My argument was that with religion, you could, quote, rationalize the irrational, end quote, leading to dangerous consequences. This is still true, which is why I focus on spirituality, not religion. And not only that, but religion is something higher, as it were, than the government itself, an idea generally sanctioned by the religion's holy texts and even the government itself. And it's that second part of the equation that is religion's special privilege. It is widely accepted as greater than the government and supersedes government diktats. Am I being pragmatic here? Sure. Do I like making recommendations like this? Not at all. However, at the same time, I genuinely believe, and might even be able to prove, spiritual arguments against authoritarian abominations like laws, taxes, borders, and cultural mores. Can logical, rational arguments be made against these same abominations? Of course. But logic and reason don't have the superpower that spirituality has. Conventionally accepted primacy over the state. So if you believe in your brand of spirituality, great. If you don't, that's fine. If you have a moral qualm with taking advantage of religious exemptions, as I argued in the beginning, you don't have to have one. But either way, use it. And that is from issue three of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. You know, it's one of the most important statements that I really wish somebody told me when I was a lot younger. And that is, there are no rules. I mean, just ultimately, there aren't. And certainly, you get some messages of that within what we call civilization. But no one ever really says it outright. And much of my argument there around spirituality and authoritarianism is certainly an argument from that point of there are no rules. And it needs to be said outright. Like I said, I know I'm not necessarily saying anything original there. But we never hear it directly enough. And that's ultimately my point and why I wanted to get that out there. If you don't want to believe this stuff, you don't have to believe it. But can you use it? In the year 2022, like I said, yes, I think you can. And I think it's necessary, even. So we will be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Going to wrap it up in the climax. Dr. Brian Sovereign, back with more. Woo! The most incredible 
television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack adventure, Battlestar Galactica. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. It is time for The Climax, where I get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. And we've been doing a lot of movies lately in the climax. And this is one I want to get in here. I want to get into the public because I, especially now, again, as we are in 2022, I think a lot of people might've missed this movie. And I know my, uh, my audience has a pretty varying age range. Um, I mean, <laughs> actually I know 10 years ago when I started, there were listeners who were in high school. Obviously they're not in high school anymore. <laughs> Also not sure that they're still listeners. Probably maybe are. Um, some of them reached out to me actually, and I know they are, but anyway, um, you know, that, that's the thing with podcasts and with shows that run this long, you know, you, you bring in new generations all the time. Um, and there are generations that have passed that sadly, I think have got, have been forgotten, including generations in Hollywood, which have clearly been forgotten, uh, much to our detriment and a movie that I want to bring up to you that I think everybody should watch unless you're one of those, maybe one of those conservatives that Facebook was watching out for, uh, even though it would still speak to you, it's just not going to play well with your conservative sensibilities. And that movie is from 1993 called simply sliver. That's the title of the film sliver. Uh, it was a controversial film at the time, uh, partly because, well, I mean, the actors involved, you had, uh, Billy Baldwin, one of the uglier Baldwin boys. Um, but you know, he, I guess he's better with a gun. Uh, Ooh, ouch. Okay. Uh, and Sharon stone, um, and Tom Berenger, uh, who tr Tom Berenger is a tremendous actor. Uh, and including in this film, like this is a film with lots of shocks and surprises. It is a modern day for 1993. It is a modern day thriller based off of a novel by one of the greatest writers, I think in history, that being Ira Levin, who is a author that I got introduced to thanks to Mrs. Sovereign, uh, who got me into uh, a book that I did a full review of years ago. Um, that being this perfect day, which interestingly, I'll be, even though it's like a dystopian science fiction book, has very similar warnings to what's in the movie sliver. Um, you know, what happens when everything ends up on servers, what happens when everything, you know, gets under the, the purview and control of, uh, well, anyway, go check it out. If you have not read, let, let's just put it that way. If you have not read this perfect day, go for it. And then if you want to either watch the movie of sliver or read the book, um, the movie was controversial, not so much because of what it would say, what it was saying about privacy and what could be done with cameras and computers and everything else. We'll talk about that a little bit, but really it was more controversial because, uh, somehow this baby 
you know, escaped an X rating. Um, very, very erotic, very sexually charged uh, film, which of course Sharon Stone was very much known for at the time with Basic Instinct and, and other films. Um, but that's not what makes this movie great. Uh, is it the soundtrack that has a lot of Enigma, as in the band Enigma, in it? Yeah, that's a big part of what makes the movie great. <laughs> really, the soundtrack's fucking amazing. Um, but no, th this is a movie that I think is actually, it plays even better today than it did in 1993. And I'll explain why. So the plot is effectively uh, a woman played by Sharon Stone. She's like an editor, a book editor. Uh, she ends up getting a new place in a building that's where the title sliver comes from. Uh, it's the name of the building that, that like this apartment building that she lives in, in New York city. Um, and she starts to find out that there are strange goings on and murders and whatever else that, that happened in, in this building. Um, and you know, so it's a thriller and things build up, you know, from there, but you know, and spoiler alerts, it's only been out since 1993. And really, as I always say, you know, spoiler alerts are bullshit anyway, because you still have to see it happen in the movie. I don't know why people are so worried about spoilers, but that's besides the point. So what you find out is the guy, a young guy played by Billy Baldwin, who owns the building, like has the entire building, like just laced with cameras everywhere and bathrooms and everything. And from his 13th floor apartment, he can see and hear everything that's going on. Um, within this building, he watches people masturbate, have sex and, you know, all, all that jazz. Okay. So here's the thing. Uh, what's the amazing twist in this is that you've like Sharon Stone ends up kind of falling in love with Billy Baldwin's character who runs the building. And he eventually tells her that, uh, that he's doing this and shows her the cameras, the whole thing. Now, what's really shocking in the movie and what I part of what I think makes it great is because it um, it defies expectations, because normally you'd expect the person to be disgusted. Well, you find out that Sharon Stone's character originally ran like a, um, uh, you know, kind of more of like a like a tabloid column, like a, like, a, you know, a busybody column. And instead of running away in disgust when she sees these cameras, she sits down and starts watching them for days. <laughs> and she doesn't like, and she just rolls with it. And she even has sex with the guy after the fact, which, you know, again, normally you'd expect her again to, to, to walk away and disgust and whatever, but that's not how this goes down. And so that's shocking and an amazing twist in and of itself, but it speaks to, you know, now the ending becomes what it is and there's a twist there and I don't want to give that away, but that doesn't matter to the point of why I think you should watch this movie. The reason that it's better today, uh, well, here was the problem with it in 1993. I don't think people believed that what was going on in this movie was possible. Just like perhaps part of the reason that, see, Ira Levin is a blockbuster author who wrote the original novel that this movie is based off of. Um, it's interesting that like the only novel, I mean, even something like Rosemary's Baby, which he wrote, was made into, you know, a very famous movie um, and well-regarded one at that. But for some reason, this perfect day has never been turned into a movie. And I've been baffled for years as to why. Uh, and I think part of it comes down to is that nobody could really believe that what happens in this perfect day would happen. Um, and I think somebody thought that, okay, what's happening in Sliver is totally possible. But most people didn't talk about this movie in the way that I'm talking about it right now with the concerns around privacy implications and all of this. 
And I think part of it comes down to that it for people in 1993, what this movie shows off was probably at the time considered impossible. Like, no, there's no way that that happens or whatever. And also that nobody was even having the conversation really around what happens if there were cameras like everywhere, you know, would people, would most people just actually sit down and watch it, um, instead of like really be disgusted by it. Uh, this is just a movie ahead of its time because it starts to play off of, and this is the genius of Ira Levin, right? Cause ultimately it's his story. The movie like starts to play off of the idea that Sharon Stone and Billy Baldwin's character are like, we could actually do good with this. And in fact, they do. They stop a, um, a father-in-law from, you know, essentially like, uh, uh, either raping or abusing, uh, his daughter-in-law, uh, you know, cause they scare him to death because it says like, yeah, I, we know what you're doing and you know, you're going to stop us now, or we're going to get the police in and whatever. And like, there's a point where Billy Baldwin's character even says, oh, we should put cameras all over town. And he's like this young, wealthy guy. So, you know, the, the, uh, insinuation is that he could probably do it. Um, but it starts to play on that idea of like, wait a minute, but you could do good if you lived in a surveillance society. But then where does this go? How, you know, like how bad does this get? And, and it, it kind of culminates in Sharon Stone, like having a moment in an elevator, seeing two people where he, she knows the quote unquote evil that they're doing. And, um, you know, and, and, and like she has to deal with that knowledge, but she feels like she can't actually take action on it and, you know, correct the problem or whatever. And it raises some really interesting questions that we have today. For example, ones that we've brought up over the years on Sovereign Tech, like when the CEO of Ford says, said, we know when every crime is being committed in the United States because of all the data and metadata they collect from their vehicles now. Now, he was being a little hyperbolic in that, but he had to retract that statement because he really let the cat out of the bag. And then, but that raises a huge question. So what? So, you know, who did what, as far as, I don't know, a bank robbery or a murder or a rape case or whatever. And this speaks to what we were just talking about earlier with, you know, Facebook and whatever else, they've got to know nasty shit that's going on and they're watching. They have people watching. That's why they were ready to hand over the data on all the people that they flagged. And yet none of these people do anything about it. They could stop this child abuse. They could stop this rape. They could stop, you know, uh, this, whatever crime you happen to think is happening or that is happening. And they don't. And this puts the, this puts our entire society today, which is a surveillance society, not just a surveillance state. It's a surveillance society. Uh, this puts us all in a very precarious situation when you know all of this stuff that's going on and yet you do nothing and it begs the question. And I don't think it's unfair to, 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 you know, to, to put it this way, like Billy Baldwin's character is, is a fucking psychopath or sociopath. Take your pick. What, who are these psychopaths that are running these companies that have all of this knowledge? Because they must be, they must be, if they know the shit that's going on and they do nothing, how many Amazon Alexas do you need to know 
to know, you know, when, 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 when terrible cases are going on, I'm not arguing them for to do anything. I'm actually arguing for them to not collect the data. Okay. Again, this is a very precarious situation that we're in here, but let us be clear. Like if I was in charge of Facebook, I would have to shut it down because my heart couldn't take it. You understand? Like I would have, I would have, not that I have a hero complex, but I'm going to put it in this way. I would have like a Superman complex about it. I would want to save everyone that I could, but I couldn't. What kind of people does that create? Sliver, the movie, I think asks these questions really well and at least starts to toy with them and makes you think about it, even in the simpler forms that it explores with cameras in a apartment building. So I consider this for Sovereign Tech's audience, you know, if you're pro-privacy and, you know, even just in the tech world in general, this is an essential watch and maybe even read the book because I'm sure it goes into things much deeper than the movie did. Uh, but I think this is an absolute essential watch uh, because it asks a lot of big questions that people didn't even know to ask in 1993 when they saw it. They were probably just there to watch Sharon Stone and ugly ass Billy Baldwin just getting freak nasty over and over again, I guess. So anyway, we will wrap this episode up with that. Check it out. Sliver from 1993. You are in for a treat. And hell, I, I even told you earlier to rewatch the Bourne movies. Plays in the same vein go for it just that surveillance society right anyway i will see all of you on the other side